welcome to episode 412 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. This is the beginning of our last week of podcast team previews, so we are down to the final four now. Later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Scheller will be talking to Jason Beck, who covers the Tigers for MLB.com. Right now, we will be talking to Paul Sporer, who uh, I guess he, he covers the Tigers for Baseball Prospectus, among other things. Uh, hey, Paul. Gentlemen, how are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, so you you wrote the essay, uh, I guess you wrote the whole chapter for the Tigers for the BP Annual. Um, so let's, I guess let's get the obligatory trade analysis out of the way. Uh, now that you've had some, some months to mull those moves over, has your opinion changed of them at all? Or, or what was your opinion to begin with? No, it hasn't changed. The first one was good. The Kinsler one, I'm still happy with as uh, both a Tigers fan and an unbiased analyst. <laughs> and uh, the Fister one still keeps me awake at night, uh, mostly as a Tigers fan. But even as an unbiased analyst, it just it it angers me because I've been a huge Doug Fister fan uh, that I just thought he was worth much, much more. And that's really to say nothing against Robbie Ray. I just I really thought there was like a fourth piece coming, like an Anthony Rendon or or even like a Tyler Clippert or a Drew Storen. I just thought there was something else in that deal, and then the, it just never came. So did you uh, – I mean a, a lot of the essay that you, you wrote was was looking at the Tigers' trade history and, and concludes by sort of uh, pondering what Dombrowski was thinking that there must be – well, I mean after all these years of sort of learning to give him the benefit of the doubt on trades, you thought, well, maybe there's something we don't see. Is there – uh, having gone through spring training, having seen Fister with a, a little bit of a health hiccup, do you get the feeling that there might be a uh, kind of an information disadvantage or not disadvantage, uh, advantage that the Tigers had and that maybe conceivably Fister is, um, you know, a, a, a slightly worse bet than you thought going forward? And that's absolutely possible. Uh, if, if they saw something structurally suggesting maybe he's not going to hold up over the long haul, like maybe they originally thought, let's get this let's get this uh, prospect back that they really do seem to love. Um, the, reports are mixed on uh, Robbie Ray from the analyst uh, side on the prospect community, but the team really seems to love him. Throw in a, a potentially wobbly Doug Fister, all of a sudden it's going to start to make a lot more sense. I just thought that even with the information that they had, he would have been worth more out on the open market. But of course, you have to believe that they went out and did their due diligence as well, right? I mean, it, it would just seem weird to take the first offer and maybe a lower offer than than we all thought. And and it is a bit arrogant for us to sit back on the other side and suggest that, well, there had to be more out there as if, again, a guy, not only Doug, uh, Dave Dombrowski, but a guy with a, a, a track record like his, a positive track record, as I outlined throughout the essay, uh, to suggest that maybe he didn't go through the necessary steps to get the best deal he could uh, would be a little crazy. So in the end, as much as I, I did feel that Fister was worth more, I'm still willing to wait it out and see what see what becomes of the lefty because I do think he's the piece that it hinges on. That's uh, you know obviously Steve Lombardozzi, Ian Crow were also involved in the deal. They deserve to be mentioned, but Robbie Ray is what's going to make or break that deal for the Tigers beyond question. What's, what's his What's his ETA? I, I could see later this year. Tigers are known for being aggressive. Uh, he finished out in Double A last year with uh, I think about 60 innings worth, pretty solid innings. 
they could definitely see him this year. And the trade that they just did, the Jose Alvarez for uh, Andrew Romine, Jose Alvarez was essentially their sixth starter. Kyle Lobstein becomes that guy. I think Robbie Ray is, is the, the 6B at this point, maybe number seven, I guess, if you just want to count him off. Uh, so it could be it could be sooner than later. Hopefully not, because that would mean that the Tigers are in trouble. Hopefully it's later in the summer just because they're ready to use somebody, not because they're in desperate need. But yeah, I would say 2014 at some point. So uh, part of that trade was motivated possibly by financial concerns. Part of it was maybe making room for Drew Smiley in the rotation. But is there? do you sense any uneasiness on the Tigers' part about the, the lack of youth or the quality of the farm system before that deal? They Even after that deal, they ranked 27th on our uh, organizational rankings this year and also 27th on the 25 and under talent rankings. Do you think that there is some sense that the the window is closing or some some sense that they need to to inject some new talent to prolong this run definitely i think i think the whole point of eventually trading one of the guys you know i think a lot of folks thought maybe it was going to be porcello uh, just because everyone seems to want to uh, hypothetically trade him when when someone needs to be moved uh the, the fact that they went to somebody like fister who is a little bit older within the within the group when you compare it to the rest of the talent i would say smiley porcello and fister were the only real candidates to be traded there i don't think scherzer or verlander were ever going to bring back what would be needed to to trade either of them Combined with the fact that uh, you don't want to trade Porcello, he's a young guy, Fister's a little bit older, they know that the system isn't that good, they're never afraid to go out and sign the guy that will cost them a pick, and uh, of course then, you know, d- further down the line, obviously they, they couldn't know this would happen, but then they start flirting with somebody like Stephen Drew who would have cost them their first pick. They saw the potential to trade a guy who's uh, early in his 30s, get a young guy, kind of kind of liven it up a little bit, get almost get that first-round pick, so to speak, so that if they turn around and, and spend it again with another free agent, they've got some more youth. So, yeah, I do think so, uh, that they are being you know kind of cautious of that and concerned. They want to keep kick the window open a little bit more there uh, because they have to know that it's, you know, it, it, they're, not, they're not quite the Phillies yet, but it, it doesn't take long to get there. You know, a year or two, all of, all of a sudden, they're the Phillies if, if things go the wrong way. And uh, you'll find me balled up in a fetal position somewhere in Austin, Texas at that point. <laughs> um, okay, so you are a pitching guy. You just produced an enormous starting pitching guide. So let me ask you about two starting pitchers, uh, the guys who will be at the back of this rotation in Fister's absence. Um, what are you expecting out of Drew Smiley as he moves from the bullpen to the rotation? And... Are you in the the Porcello perpetual breakout camp? Do you think that he just gets hit too hard by lefties to take another step forward? Was last year pretty good, and we're getting greedy? How do you feel about him and uh, and also Smiley? Uh, with Porcello, I am in the the perpetual breakout camp. I've been there the whole time. I was actually promoting. Uh, a trade for him because I thought he was on the wrong team given the the infield defense. Once they started to reshift that, starting with the uh, Jose Iglesias trade last year, all of a sudden I, I didn't want him dealt at all because I thought they were starting to make the right strides there. Got a great shortstop. Now they got a, uh, a quality second baseman in Kinsler. They took Cabrera off a third. Not that Castellanos is awesome, but it doesn't. It's not tough to be better than Cabrera. And before he moved over to third, Cabrera was showing some, uh, you know, some ability over at first. And again, when the bar to clear is Prince Fielder, it's not too difficult to do. So all of a sudden, they went from a god awful infield defense to to it actually being a strength. Well, now Iglesias is hurt, and that's problematic. However, 
any and all of the replacements that they will use internally are glove first. They're not going to be as good as Iglesias, but they're almost certainly going to be better than Johnny Peralta. So I still think it's a, a net positive uh, for Rick Porcello. He did show a lot of growth last year. It's masked because you don't really see it in the ERA. It was a small jump, about a quarter of a run, um, mainly because of his games against the Angels. And you can't go and pick and choose everything that they remove and just say, look at how great his season was. But honestly, you look at two starts that he had against them. He gave up 15 runs and about five innings of work, including a nine-earned run, two-thirds of an inning, just devastation that was uh, Babbitt-fueled bad luck and then, a, and then a Mike Trout Grand Slam, which was his doing, of course, uh, Trout's and Porcello's. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he's got a, he's got a low fours ERA instead of something in the mid to high threes. So I do think that we're going to see some growth from him. There's still steps to be taken, but I do think the infield defense is going to help uh, with that. But the skills were improving. This is still a young guy, and now he's got, what, four or five full years under his belt already at this age. I mean, everything that we see from guys his age with his kind of experience portends future greatness. Uh, so I, I'm super excited about him going forward. Smiley, I'm also excited overall but maybe not as excited as the fantasy community has been about him i think that they've gotten a little bit overzealous with him um but to keep it mostly on the on the real life baseball focus i think he'll be solid i don't think he's going to come in and automatically just give 200 innings out of the bullpen there he's still a young guy uh he still has some issues of his own and in the aforementioned starting pitcher guide that you mentioned uh Doug was not a fan. Doug Thorburn, our colleague at BP, was not a fan of his mechanics at all, giving him an overall D plus, uh, which was surprising to me. I didn't think he would grade that poorly. So there's a little bit of concern for me with Smiley. But as a fifth starter, he doesn't have to be amazing to really uh, to really fill, fit, fit the bill all right. So you mentioned losing Iglesias. Um, how big a blow do you think that is? And, and why do you think the, the Scott Boris overtures with Stephen Drew did not work this time? Because we've seen seen that work in the past where he will go straight to Illich and sell him on Prince Fielder on a gigantic deal. And he seemed to be trying the same tactics here, but so far at least it has not seemed to work. I'm going to say uh, it was the pick, going back to what we talked about earlier with the youth. You know, they had some concern about that, I believe, which which kind of facilitated uh, or at least uh, pushed forth with the Fister trade. They're trying to get some youth back. They don't want to give it right back, especially on a one-year deal to Drew. If they see Iglesias as the future, what's really the point of bringing Drew in? You've got, you've got a big cluster at that point. They obviously believe in Nick Castellanos. What are you going to do at that point? Uh, you know, unless you're going to talk to Drew and say, well, then you're going to come in you're going to be uh, a part of a platoon in left field. Have you played left field before? Are you interested in it? So I, I think it would just create too many headaches. And like I said, you know, they're replacing a number nine hitter. Jose Iglesias is not a very good hitter. Uh, it's not a high bar to clear again. They've got glove first guys, not as good as Iglesias, but but who will be go out there and just field the position. Don't worry about the hitting. We got eight other guys who are really going to be out there to try to pick you up. I just feel like it wasn't worth the pick to to Dombrowski as he tries to make sure that he doesn't sacrifice too much of the future uh, while also keeping them competitive. So that that's why I think it, it didn't pan out. They would have much rather tried to get somebody like a Chris Owings or or Nick Franklin, who's a younger piece. But then I don't think they had the pieces to really give to do that either. So last year, the Tigers, uh, besides having the best rotation in the game, they had the second best, uh, you know, arguably, because uh, there was a cluster at the top, but arguably the second best offense in the game. 
And so basically four positions have been swapped out um, since last year. Uh, Johnny Peralta's gone, replaced by Hernan Perez. Um, uh, you know, the left field has been re- uh, taken over by Rajai Davis. Of course, Infante has been replaced by Ian Kinsler. And, uh, you know, essentially Prince Fielder replaced by uh, Castellanos. And those are all, I think, you know, arguably those are all downgrades. The Kinsler one, Kinsler's more famous than Infante and certainly brings more defensively to the table. But, um, you know, I think it, most people would be surprised to see that Infante holds up well and has arguably outhit him over the last couple of years. Um, so given those changes and given that three of the five holdovers are, are in their thirties, uh, and, uh, you know, in some cases late thirties, is this still, uh, even an above average offense? I mean, I know the defense is improved and so, you, you know, you can't divorce that from the, the changes and I'm not saying these are bad moves that they made, but is this still, uh, an elite level offense or is this like kind of more middle of the pack at this point? I think it's still a good offense. It's really going to depend on some of those players that you talked about, how elite level it can be. Um, the the age is what would really concern me because I, I look at the the skill. I still think it's there. But uh, does Torrey Hunter go out and give another uh, well above average season with his OPS? He was at 800 last year. Does Victor Martinez essentially match him? Uh, those two were huge. Also, he's not necessarily old, but at age 27, Austin Jackson now has two years in a row where he's gotten hurt. He's been very good, but he needs to stay healthy. Um, And then, of course, we know that Miguel Cabrera only missed, uh, what, 14 games last year, but he was basically out for a month, so to speak. I mean, he he basically missed an entire month. He was still on the field, but he was not the guy that everyone knew and loved. Um, So they, they... do have some risk. And I I agree with you that you look at all of those and first off, it's a net negative for sure, but it might just be a downgrade at all four spots. I do think Kinsler is going to be okay. uh, uh, Better than I think people think in, uh, in Detroit. I know they look at his road numbers and say, well, no, he's, you know, he's just not going to be good on the road. I think he's going to eat up that doubles, triples alley and just, uh, we're not going to see it with the power. So it might not be again on the fantasy angle. It might not be as hot, but I think he's going to fill in just nicely. And I think he can replicate Omar Infante's season just fine. And if his defense is outstanding, then that'll be all right. Uh, what it's really going to come down to for me though, is Castellanos and then the health of Hunter and Martinez. And that's really going to decide whether or not it's a, a, a solid, you know, 10 to 15 offense or really in that in that th- three to nine range. I'm not sure that they're. I'm not sure that there's anything where they can be a top two defense because they're giving away a spot with that nine hole. And then uh, I think there's just a bit too much risk with the uh, with the injury potential, especially related to the couple of older guys. You mentioned Kinsler's splits, and uh, you know, as you alluded to, they're they're much larger than you would normally expect from somebody playing in Texas. Uh, you know, which would sort of suggest that maybe something about that home park was tailored to him and that uh, it disguises some of his offensive shortcomings. I never know how much to make of that. Like, I, I never know whether, like, even a, even a couple thousand plate appearances into a guy's career that's uh, a legitimate trend to pay attention to or not. And I know that you look at this a lot because this is, uh, you know, very relevant fantasy information. So so why did you conclude or, or why have you concluded that it's not, um, you know, a lethal concern with Kinsler? Just because I, th- I again, I think that he's going to 
make the necessary adjustment, which is you can't just go out there and sit uh, sit out there, try to loft the ball and get it out of Comerica Park. It's not. A, I think it gets a bit of a reputation as a pitcher's haven. It's, it's not really that. It, 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 you can hit it out for sure, um, but there's ways to exploit it, and and it, it's really that triples alley there that you can really just kind of lace it into the gap. I think if he uses utilizes both of those gaps, uh, both to the opposite field and his pole field, he'll see that there's plenty of power to be had there. You're not gonna you're not gonna have a 500 slugging, but you can still go out there. I I can honestly see him. I, I'd be more inclined to see him hit only 10 homers, but with a 320 average, than I would be to see him hit his usual 270 to uh, 280. But with you know upwards of uh, 20, sometimes 30 homers, uh, I just think that he's going to make the necessary adjustment. Maybe go for the line drive hit a bit more, adjust to the park, understand that hey man, you're not going to get what you got in Texas, and hopefully he learns that quickly. If the guys haven't already told him that, maybe learn from Tory Hunter. Also adapted, handled himself very well when he went to Detroit. Hopefully that's that's what I'm going for. That's what I'm banking on. I've seen guys come in there, really utilize those gaps, really turn up their doubles, turn up their triples. That's the way for him to have success. It's not going to be via the home run. And if he thinks it is, then then he's going to have a poor season. It's going to really hurt the Tigers. So uh, Bruce Rendon is having Tommy John surgery. He's out for the year. <laughs> yes, you you had a pretty positive write up on him in the annual. Um, so my question is: Last year, the the Tigers' search for a closer was kind of a season long story, rightly or wrongly, and they seem to to have bring an end to that story by signing Joe Nathan. Is the new story now going to be the Tigers' search for a setup man, or are you confident in the the options that they have? Oh, I wouldn't say confident. I was really geeked about about uh, Rondon there, backing up Nathan because honestly, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about Nathan. He's a million years old, <laughs> uh, so you know that was my my concern was okay. Well, if he goes down, Rondon's ready, man. He's gonna. I mean, he's gonna be there. I was just. Uh, it was such a bummer to even not have him in the playoffs for the Tigers because I thought that would have been a key component. So this tough news. It's really tough news. Can Chamberlain really do it? Sure, he can. He, of course, he can bounce back. I, I, I would never write off any sort of reliever. I mean, Neil Kotz, I think, was dead for seven years, literally dead, not on the records of the world, and then came back and posted like a .28 ERA in 7,000 innings last year. So I would never write off a reliever. Um, and someone like Joe Chamberlain, you know, had a, had a lot of talent in the past. Not saying that he's going to be the guy. So I, I am a little bit worried. I was really liking the one-two punch, and then kind of fill in from there. Now you've got the one punch, really got to find that second punch there because right now I'm not sold on anybody. I've always been an Albuquerque fan, but at some point the ball has to cross the plate. I mean, it, it just it has to, and he hasn't shown the capability to do that now. So it's going to be Kroll, the guy, one of the guys they got from Washington, Albuquerque, or Chamberlain. One of them really has to step up or else uh, I'm, the bullpen's going to be a concern for Tigers fans all year again getting to Nathan. It's going to be, okay, starter, you have to go eight and get it to Nathan yourself because I'm worried about the bridge right now. So will Max Scherzer pitch a game for the Tigers in 2015? And do you have any sort of insight beyond the conventional wisdom of why the Tigers would go public with the negotiations and kind of go negative with them the way they did? I don't. And it was a bit surprising. I do believe he does uh, throw for the for them in 2015. Yes, I think I think the deal gets done. It'll it'll be some massive deal that uh, you know th- those will all come home to roost eventually. And 
uh, my Tigers will be the the Phillies of of the league in a couple years. But <laughs> if they bring home the title before then, uh, then personally I don't care. Um, but yeah, I I think that gets done. I, I was surprised. It was really surprising. Um, you know, it was bringing in the more common fan. My sister's texting me. Why didn't he just take the deal? What what what, what more does he need? Uh, obviously, she knows nothing of what she speaks, but she's just getting her little ESPN update and wondering what the hell's going on. So it, that was surprising. It was a surprising tact. It's not what I expected. Uh, I'm going to be kind of interested to see how it plays out from here. But in the end, I do think it gets done. I do think he'll be there. It'll be the Verlander Scherzer show. Um, you know, that rotation, it, it can still carry them for the next couple of years. Uh, I think they're going to be asked to do a lot this year. And they did a lot last year. So I'm still confident overall for this ball club. But it, it's not without its uh, concerns. So let's just be thankful as Tigers fans, uh, for those of you out there, that they're in the same division that, they re- that they've been in the last few years. So was the, was the Scherzer press release uh, in character for this front office? I mean, is, is there precedent for them doing anything like this, uh, particularly with a Boris client, or, or did this? No, no, usually not. I I never really see anything like that. First off, everything usually comes out when something comes out. It's usually done. You know, whenever the Tigers usually have something with that, it's a done deal anyway. Uh, when you're talking about contract extensions, there's never usually any negotiating in public. So again, it was really surprising. And and Boris, you mentioned uh, out front that they have the kind of relationship with the Tigers. It's always been pretty amicable, whether it's uh, with Dombrowski exactly or more with Illich. Never really s- seen by the Tigers, uh, I think, or by the fans. I think it's known to be with Dombrowski, although he might have Illich's ear as well. But uh, they're very compatible. Compatible. Uh, so I, I was really blown away. I was really floored this morning to kind of see it play out that way. Very interested to see how it continues to play out. But again, I think the end result will be positive. Uh, well, assuming that it, for those who want Scherzer to stay a Tiger would consider it positive. And then the other extension news over the weekend, John Morosi reported that, that the Tigers have begun discussing an extension with Miguel Cabrera, who is not a free agent until after the 2015 season. Does this make you nervous? Are you worried about Pujols' yes. potential? Or, you know, it must be hard to have watched Cabrera for the last couple of years and not, say, keep him. But uh, how, how worried are you? It, it, you got to remove the fan from it when you're, when you're talking about that sort of stuff. Um, like you said, you know, you watch those last couple of years, uh, a triple crown, a pair of MVPs, just an obscenely good player. And everything screams Yes, give him whatever he wants. Give him the blank check. Uh, he'll he'll fill it out, and then you just pay it. Um, no, I mean, come on. How many times do we have to learn from this? You mentioned a couple. Uh, you mentioned a name, Pujols. Um, you know, heavier guys out there. Ryan Howard. Not that. Not that Ryan Howard was ever that good. I'm talking more about body type at that point. So I don't want crazy comments on the on the blog post for this podcast suggesting I'm comparing the two. Pujols is the comparison. That's all the one. That's the only one you need. And it's not that Pujols is a bad player at all, but uh, he's being paid jillions of dollars and he can't possibly live up to it. And the Tigers have already got a lot of guys being paid jillions of dollars as well, similar to the Angels. Wait till they pay Mike Trout. Um, and so at some point, while there is no cap in this game and the Tigers have shown the willingness to spend and all of you out there continue to buy your Little Caesars pizza to ensure that the Tigers can spend, there is a certain cap. I mean, there is a finite amount that they can continue to spend. They're going to give Scherzer a mega contract. Verlander's already got one. They gave Sanchez a big contract. Porcello will need one if he does pan out. Austin Jackson needs one eventually. Um, And then you give Cabrera yet another one. It, It will come home to roost. I'm not suggesting necessarily that they get rid of him. 
but I wouldn't necessarily want some Mondo eight-year deal to be announced this season before we even get through this contract. I would actually rather be closer to the end of this deal, see how he is, see how he's holding up back at first before I would make any long-term commitment. And, and I know that that sounds crazy given how great he's been, but the realistic part of me suggests that, you know, is he really going to be an amazing player uh, deep into his 30s at, at his size? I, I'm sure he's still going to be a fantastic hitter with a high OBP because he's going to take plenty of walks and probably have a decent enough batting average, but I'm not sure he's hitting 350 in four years. Mm-hmm. And the other major change this offseason, the, the Tigers are going from an old school chain smoking manager to a new school <laughs> non-smoking manager. Uh, Sexy who, one. <laughs> yes, a good looking man. Maybe maybe not quite as good a quote, but pretty good quote. Uh, he seems seems open minded. He seems open to, to new trends in baseball. Are you expecting anything different day to day as far as managerial tendencies and tactics goes? Just some of the speed that we've already seen in in the uh, I almost said in the playoffs in the preseason rather, mm-hmm. um, you know they've got some guys that can do it. They've got you know uh, Kinsler, Jackson, um, Rajah Davis. You guys mentioned earlier those three can definitely run. I think somebody like Tory might be a little bit more rejuvenated. Not that he's super fast, but again we've seen throughout baseball uh, that you don't need to be super fast to steal bases. It's it's a skill that uh, you have capable enough speed you can run so I, I just think that they're going to be willing to press the press the button a bit more they're not going to be the plotting team that they were that uh that really showed up in the playoffs there especially when cabrera was hurt or when prince fielder was belly flopping back to third base so mm-hmm. uh it's definitely going to show in, in the speed and defense aspects of this team but otherwise uh, you know, I, I think he's just going to be open to however the team is, is built. I think Osmus will be ready to adapt and, and, and adjust and exploit the, uh, the the best case scenario for the ball club. And uh, was seeing Justin Verlander in September and October enough to completely restore your confidence? Are you are you yes. as optimistic about him now as you were going into last season? I could show you the fantasy teams I've drafted so far, and that would be a resounding yes. Uh, I've gotten him in a numerous amount of places. Uh, I'm ve- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had him fourth among my, my pitching ranks uh, behind only uh, Kershaw, Dar- Darvish, and Wainwright, and that was only because of the core surgery. Once he came back, I saw him in spring. I moved him right up to third, and he's knocking on the door for Darvish. So, uh, you know, fantasy or real life, I've got him right there again capable of being the best pitcher in the game. I'm not sure I would uh, confidently rank anyone but Kershaw ahead of him. Currently have Darvish there from a fantasy aspect, but otherwise those two are neck and neck as well. I, I don't. I didn't need to see anything more than what I saw in September and October to know he was back. Obviously the core thing pushed it back a little bit, but then all of a sudden he's coming back. He's looking amazing already. So then he's right back up where he is. I'm very excited about Verlander's uh, 2014. I think you know, a pissed off Verlander is a bad thing for the rest of the league. Well, Paul, I was delighted that you mentioned Little Caesars because I've never, uh, now, now I feel like uh, the Giants' victory over the Tigers in the World Series uh, two years ago. Uh, I played a little role in that by refusing to ever buy Little Caesars. I've never really felt like I was you. able to affect a baseball game before, but, but now I feel like I have a little power. Uh, how, how, many wins, how many wins? How many wins for the Tigers this year? Uh, 94. It's still, it's still gonna be a great ball club. I, I mean, th- there's some there's some kinks in the armor there, and we've talked about some potential problems. But when I look at that staff, 
still get really giddy. I still dealing with a, man, a general manager who's willing to make the in season moves. Um, still got a lot of star power in the middle of the lineup. And honestly, just being able to beat up on a couple of really bad ball clubs in Minnesota and Chicago is going to help. I do think KC and Cleveland, you know, they're going to be they're going to be uh, fighting. They're all again this year. But uh, I still think this is a team to be reckoned with and they're going to win their division. I feel like 94 wins has been a popular pick on this series. Going to be a bunch of 94 win teams this year. That's uh, it. Bunch <laughs> of ni- that's it. Everyone's going to be tied. We're going to be eight, eight tiebreakers deep to figure out where everyone's playing in October. Can't wait. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks, guys. Uh, so everyone can go and follow Paul on Twitter at Sporer. You can go purchase the 2014 starting pitching guide at paulsporer.com. You can read Paul's uh, pitching analysis at paintheblack.com and, of course, his fantasy coverage at Baseball Perspectives. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get the discounted one-year subscription for $30. Now stay tuned for Nick talking to Jason Beck. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm here with Jason Beck of MLB.com. How's it going, Jason? Going great. Uh, I'm healthy. Uh, I don't know how many Tigers can say the same thing, but uh, it, it seems like they mostly are. So uh, Jim Leland retired last year after eight years, four playoff appearances, and two pennants with Detroit. Um, First-time manager Brad Ausmus takes over for Leland, returning to the city where he played in 1999 and 2000. What have been the most notable differences with Ausmus running the team so far? Well, I think if you start with the atmosphere, it's just a little bit more laid back. The the comparison I've used is that with Leland, understandably, it was kind of like having a fatherly figure in charge Mm -hmm. in the clubhouse. And... Brad's kind of got this aura of like a, an older brother for a lot of these guys. He's not that far separated. I think he's pretty much faced all the guys in the uh, Tigers rotation except for Smiley. Um, you know, he, he has an understanding of what you know the the, the uh, major league athlete goes you know goes through in uh, modern times. And I, I think too, he just he understands how the player thinks. And uh, that factors a lot in his thinking. Uh, he kind of bristles into the sabermetric uh, comparisons, mm-hmm. although he does use a lot of advanced stats. I've, I've seen it firsthand. He goes pretty in depth on the, uh, you know, on matchup stats and splits, and uh, you know, kind of looking at, at what guy, what certain hitters will do against certain styles of pitchers. Yeah, he uses a lot of information, and I think. I think Jim did too, but it was different types of information. I, I think Brad gets a little bit more advanced on it. And you, you can kind of see that influence in the way he uh, prepares guys, the way he looks at, you know, a defensive alignment, the way he looks at, you know, how he wants uh, pitchers approaching uh, situations, uh, the way he wants guys to be alert on the base paths. Um, there, there seems to be an overall awareness that he brings both as a recently retired player and as a guy who caught the big leagues for 18 years and had to be aware of just about everything that was going on on the field at one time. 
You mentioned being more aggressive on the base paths. Uh, Osmus has stated that that will be a priority, especially with Rajai Davis and uh, Ian Kinsler now on the team. He's also said that they uh, won't be placing Austin Jackson in the leadoff spot. How do you see the lineup shape, shaping up, and how will Osmus's desire to run a lot affect the way that he arranges his players? I, I think it's going to have a pretty big effect. It was going to be different regardless because of some of the moves that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not obviously, you know, with Fielder in Texas now, you're not going to have that major presence in the middle of the order after Cabrera. Um, he's going to be protected by Victor Martinez, who I think some people forget did that job pretty well in 2011. Yeah. But he's a few years older. He doesn't have quite the same power, even though he really didn't produce runs with that much power to begin with when he first came over. Um, but beyond that, too, there's not that depth in the lineup after you get past the, the top five. Um, they're going to need some guys to step up. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity here for Austin Jackson to kind of redefine himself as a hitter, not necessarily in the way he hits, but just kind of what his forte is. Um, he was a leadoff hitter for the first you know, four years or whatever it was here in yeah, four years here in uh, yeah. Detroit, in large part by default, because when he first came over in 2010, there wasn't that next logical guy. I think Johnny Damon was on board, but it came at a point, um, you know, in the middle of spring training, and it was an older Johnny Damon. Um, and once Austin responded well to that spot, that first year, he was kind of typecast there. Um, I, I think there was always kind of a understanding that at some point he might mature into a hitter who would be more of a run producer towards the middle of the order or maybe the bottom half. Uh, you just had to kind of wait for that to happen. I don't know if that really ha- has happened yet, mm-hmm. but with Kinsler on board, it makes more sense, I think, with the track record to lead him off. And I think, too, you know, just talking with, with Brad, that there's a, a curiosity of what Jackson might be able to do without some of the uh, pressure of batting two spots in front of Cabrera, um, both in terms of maybe renewed aggressiveness on the base paths, maybe a willingness to uh, you know, show a little bit more aggressiveness as a hitter, you know, just, just a bunch of different things there. I think they want to see what they got here. And, and on a timeline, it makes sense, given you know this point in his career, two years away from free agency, you want to kind of see what this guy can bring you long-term before you decide whether or not you want to try to uh, lock him up long-term. When the Tigers made that trade, um, sending Prince Fielder to the Rangers, uh, Nick Castellanos managed to secure a starting spot at third base now that Miguel Cabrera is back at first base. The Tigers probably would not have made that trade unless they had at least some confidence in Castellanos. What do you think he can contribute this year? If you go by what the spring training numbers have shown and what the approach has shown, I think he has a chance to contribute more than people might expect. Um, mm. You know, he's got a nice overall swing. He's not power happy at this point. Uh, you know, he's very good at taking the ball the opposite field. He, he can be a gap slasher. I, you know, I think he can has a chance to be a good overall hitter. Um, He's obviously going to go through slumps this year. I, I think we saw that, you know, the track record even that he's had on his way up shows that there's going to be times when the hitting just dries up. But what he's shown 
you know, the last couple of years since they've very good at making adjustments and, and coming to understand what pitchers are trying to do to him. Um, you know, I, I expect that step's going to come at some point during the year, you know, probably early on, but that he's going to be able to get over. You just got to be able to give him time. And, and I think, you know, the, the better supporting cast around him, the more production you can get out of guys like Jackson, Alex Avila, maybe hitting in front of him to where you can keep Castellanos down in that bottom third. I think the easier it should be for him to make that transition. He, he'll have a lot less pressure on them than he would otherwise, even though the temptation when you see a big spring training like what he's had is to try to rush him a little bit and put him in a spot where you want to take advantage of some of those numbers, even though they are spring training stats. How do you think he'll be able to handle third base defensively? Um, the Tigers had a lot of problems in the field last year. See, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress. Um, he, he's a big third baseman, not quite Cabrera big, <laughs> but large athletic big where he's not necessarily going to make the quick reaction plays, or at least not, not yet. I, I think long term, he's going to thrive on his preparation before the ball is hit, you know, learning hitters, learning how to line up. It, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, Brandon Inch learned to thrive on, on that type of stuff, you know, how to position himself for certain hitters. And, and I think Castellanos is going to go through that, that same process as we go along. Um, it would have been easier, I think, if you had a rangy shortstop like Jose Iglesias yep. to his left. <laughs> but it certainly doesn't look like you're going to have that luxury now. So, you know, but I, I do think that's one reason why they're pushing the emphasis on defense out of, you know, for replacing Iglesias with short is that, you know, to, go, to compromise defense would be putting an awful lot of pressure on, on the kid at third. Yeah, so obviously that injury to Iglesias is a very big deal for the Tigers. They were one of the worst teams in baseball defensively last year, so adding Iglesias in the second half made a pretty big difference and kind of signaled that they'd be possibly improving that this year. Um, after the injury, they traded for Austin Romine, who will probably be part of some sort of platoon. How do you see that um, position shaping out for the next few months as the Tigers figure out what's going on with, with Iglesias? Well, right now what they're talking about is platooning Romine with, uh, you know, with either Worth or Perez. I think yeah. Worth seems to have the upper hand at this point, given you know he's got a little bit of experience, more experience up there. Um, he's not the type who will easily easily get rattled. And frankly, I think he's an underrated defender. He's not going to have the same type of range, of course, but mm-hmm. he's got a strong arm when he's healthy. You know, he's he's pretty reliable with the glove. I think he has the chance to to be a very solid, you know, above average defensive player there, given some repetitions. Um, you know, Romine haven't seen a whole lot of him yet. Uh, Tigers really aren't going to have a chance to see a whole lot of him before the season starts. <laughs> the reputation follows him. That he's, a, that he's a very good defensive player, kind of like a, a left-handed, well now switch-hitting version of, of Worth. Um, I think the Tigers would be willing to take that. Uh, the trade-off is that you're not going to get a whole lot of production. Um, obviously, underlying this is, this, you know, the uh, presence of Stephen Drew out there on the open market. Um, depending on on what the timing is, depending on who you listen to, the decision may or may not have already been made on on, on what they're willing to do as far as that goes. Um, you know. By the time some people could be listening to this, maybe Stephen Drew's on board. 
maybe they've ruled out Stephen Drew. No idea yet. It, it kind of seems to be the big, uh, the big mysteries surrounding camp at this point. Uh, you know whether or not they they would go in on that under like a one year deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether they'd be willing to give up the first round pick. Yeah. Um, assuming it doesn't happen, I think what you're looking at is a defensive first tandem as we go along and kind of see how that reacts, see how that, that fits into uh, what they're trying to do. With Doug Fister pitching in Washington this year, it's looking like Drew Smiley will step into that fifth starter spot. He made 67 appearances last year over uh, 76 innings, all in relief. He was a starter in the minors and had started 18 games in 2012. He pitched a lot better last year as a reliever. Uh, in part, that was thanks to facing lefties in 42% of uh, appearances compared to 30% of, uh, of batters faced in, tw- in 2012. How can he adapt to moving back to the rotation and facing some more right-handed hitters? Well, he's, he's got to dust off the old starter's arsenal. Um, you know, he's <laughs> got to expand his pitch. He, he was essentially you know, a two-pitch pitcher, you know, maybe throwing a third pitch on occasion there. Uh, he had to dust off the changeup before he got to camp, mm-hmm. and that's been something that's gone wrong. He's got to get you know, some more use out of the cutter. I know it was a big pitch for him in relief. Um, you know, he's looking to, to get some swings and misses out of that to, uh, you know, to get him out of some jams and, and, and to, uh, you know, kind of help him rack up some outs there. Um, he, he, I, I do think, though, the changeup is, is, is the big pitch, you know, especially to, to get him some effectiveness against right-handed hitters. He faced some early in the year, early last year when he was in long relief. Obviously, the more and more he moved into the setup and lefty specialist type stuff, the less and less he saw that. But I think he remembers how to approach them. Um, he's not going to be able to get by with power stuff. Not that he necessarily was a power lefty last year, but he had enough deceptiveness where he could kind of go fastball cutter heavy. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be able to work for him this year. Uh, for one, he's got to be able to, to save the energy a little bit, even though he did add it was like 20 pounds or something by his estimation. Wow. He tried to prevent himself from wearing down over the course of the year, uh, you know, just based on uh, how he felt last season. Um, but, but two, you know, the breaking ball is going to be big, the, the changeup he's going to have to go back to, to what got him into the big leagues to begin with. You know, and we were kind of thinking about that the other day, you know, when, when he's starting against the Marlins and Jacob Turner is pitching for the Marlins and you're, you're thinking back to that battle two years ago, Jacob Turner was the top Tigers prospect. Drew Smiley outpitched him, not because of better stuff, but I think because of more pitchability and because of a better instinct on how to approach hitters. That's what he's got to get back to pretty remarkable he only threw five changeups all of last year that's 0.4 percent of pitches he threw when he was a start of the year before <clears throat> he threw 78 changeups which was about four and a half percent of pitches but to just completely go move away from that pitch for a whole year is pretty remarkable yeah and i think he's looking to move it moving the double digits on that, uh-huh. on that uh, pitch in terms really? of uh, percentages i i think yeah. he'd he'd like to be able to get to that um you know even if some of them are you know just setting up making the uh, fastball and cover more effective. I think, you know, he really seems to be making a genuine effort to, to make that a reliable pitch for him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, last year, the Tigers' starting pitchers were first in baseball in adjusted ERA, but their bullpen was 23rd. This offseason, they signed Joe Nathan to replace Joaquin Benoit as the closer. Um, they also signed Java Chamberlain to a one-year deal and then acquired Ian Kroll in that Doug Fister trade. They suffered a significant setback with the news that Bruce Rondon will be having Tommy John surgery. Do you think the bullpen will be more effective than last year? Uh, well, I, I was pretty confident about it until Rondon mm-hmm. got, got hurt. Uh, now you're, somebody's going to have to step up in that bullpen who hasn't necessarily been a reliable guy in recent years. You know, it could be Java Chamberlain, um, you know, kind of blending some veteran skill with the, what he thinks is a little bit of a better repertoire, stepping up in that setup role. Uh, it could be Al Albuquerque showing some sort of uh, command of the fastball to go with that devastating slider that he seems to be able to throw 10, 10 or more times in a row without any, uh, <laughs> without any consequences. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the physics of which is just, you know, bizarre to think about. Um, you know, it could even be, and I would never imagine this when, when spring training started, but it could even be a guy like Evan Reed. Um, you know, for those who remember him last year, he came up at a couple different stints. He was kind of that, uh, throwaway long reliever that you threw into a lot of mop-up situations. Great fastball, hits the upper 90s. It seemed to be pretty straight and even worse last year. I think even more of an impact was that, because he didn't have a reliable secondary pitch, that fastball proved very, very hittable. And when guys hit it, 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 it tended to go quite a ways. Um, that secondary, the, the secondary stuff seems a lot better this year. I think he made a real point of improving that. And what you're seeing now is is that guys the Tigers hope they might be able to, to foster when they when they got this guy from the Marlins, you know, come out of spring training last year. If he can carry, you know, even a fraction of his effectiveness from from spring training into the regular season, and I know we're talking about a time frame when pitchers are generally ahead of hitters, mm-hmm. but he's got a chance to to maybe fill some meaningful innings. Um, I've heard scouts rave about Luke Pekonen in the same way, even yeah. though he was kind of in a, a similar, you know, kind of a, a throwaway role last year. They've got some talented arms in there. You know, besides the big names, besides the names that, that everybody recognizes, um, you know, now it's, somebody's got to be able to take the next step and, and kind of translate the stuff in the results and, and kind of be able to do that in pressure situations. Um, I couldn't even pretend to admit, to put a reliable guess on who that might be. Uh, but I think right now the Tigers have to be hoping that they have enough candidates that the likelihood ends up being that, that somebody is capable of doing yeah. that. Extension talks with Max Scherzer have stalled after Scherzer reportedly turned down a substantial offer from the Tigers. Scherzer will be a free agent following this season, which is pretty good timing after winning the Cy Young last year. How can he improve his value this year, and how much do you think he'll get if he has another season like he did last year? Well, the one thing that, that's really impressed me about, about Scherzer this spring is that he doesn't come in, or he didn't come in with an attitude that he felt like he had everything figured out. Um, yeah. I think he's smarter than that, but I also think he's a lot tougher on himself than that. I, I think he's always critiquing himself, you know, whether it's certain pitches, whether it's a certain approach, or, or whether it's it's something that he wants to get to get better. 
Um, as, as big as the curveball was for him in, in that season he had in 2013, he's talking about trying to get it crisper, trying to get it to be an even better pitch for him, which is kind of astounding on some level. But I think when, when you kind of understand Max's personality, you kind of get it and, and get why he's looking at that as his next step. He's always looking at kind of that weaker part of his game, mm-hmm. even once it strengthens a little bit, trying to get everything level. Um, you know, if it wasn't going to be this, it was going to be something else. Um, you know, I wouldn't be all that shocked if he ended up throwing, you know, trying to throw yet another pitch <laughs> in bullpens over the course of the summer, and then all of a sudden we see a, a, another different look. From him during the year, um, he's not afraid to tinker in that way, and in some ways, he's fortunate in that he's got a pitching coach in Jeff Jones, who has you know who made his name on being able to work with guys and, and being a tinkerer, you know, just because of that long history of AAA. If he does have a another repeat sort of Cy Young quality year, do you think that the Tigers will be able to retain him, or that he'll find more money on the market? Yeah. I know everybody's saying the right things. I know Max does like Detroit. He's very comfortable mm-hmm. there. I think he he can be comfortable in a lot of places. I don't <laughs> necessarily. I think he's he's smarter than that. That yeah, he's one of those guys. I don't think New York would phase him. I don't think L.A. would phase him. I don't think any of these big cities would, would necessarily be a hindrance for him just because of the way the way he thinks. Mm-hmm. And I also know that given the way the markets work the last few years, if he has anywhere near the the year he had in 2013, somebody's going to step up with a crazy offer. And if we were talking about a Tigers team that didn't have a whole lot of commitments already on the payroll, I'd say, you know, that the owner, Mike Illich, would probably step up and, and match it, you know, kind of like what they did with Anibal Sanchez. This is a team that's got so many commitments over the next several years, you know, and they already have two guys under long-term contracts in the rotation where, you know, once you get into that type of average annual value where, you know, if he gets beyond Verlander territory, mm-hmm. it's hard to envision the Tigers being able to do that and, and still kind of have a long-term financial picture for, for this, this next uh this next phase. Yeah, especially considering the extensions that are being given out. Like with Homer Bailey off the market, his price, um, Scherzer's price is going to get really high next year. Yeah, and I think even if if a lot, I think even if most of these big names are still on the market, the type of pitcher Max is, the age he's going to be at, and you know, assuming he can stay healthy, I think that combination still makes would make him the top pitcher on the market yeah. unless oh, yeah. he has a real fallback year. Yeah. I think the potential in the repertoire is just so good with this kid that it's going to be too tempting for somebody. And I think a lot of teams would rather take a shot on that than take a shot on some of the other guys who are going to be hitting the market. All right. Well, that's all I have for you today. Uh, thanks for coming to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me. I always love doing this. Yeah, it's great talking to you. Take care. That was Jason Beck of MLB.com. You can read Jason at Tigers.com or follow him on Twitter at BeckJason. Tomorrow I'll be discussing the Washington Nationals with Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post. Thanks for listening.
You know, I have a uh, every year around the same time. It's usually around like early February or so. I have basically the same dream a few times uh, over the course of a couple of weeks, and the dream is always that I'm in some fantasy draft, and um, it's the same draft. It's the same draft against the same player every year, and uh, and and incredibly good players have slipped to very low, and I've just realized <laughs> this, and I'm like anxiously waiting for my pick, and then I'm I'm like gr- I'm grabbing all these guys in like the 28th round, like like Prince Fielder in the 28th round. <laughs> Dude, this is not a. This isn't shared. This Nobody is, has this dream. No, I've not had this one. I want this one. This sounds amazing. Mine's usually the opposite. Like I left twenty four dollars on the table in an auction, and like I'm so screwed. And what? Are the, how much did I pay for Jose Tabata? Oh my god! No, I have I have the panic ones. I just oh. dream about not doing my homework. That's all I get. <laughs> <laughs> 